นโมทัสสะบกวาทัวรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบกวาทัวรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบกวาทัวรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนามัสสะAs Ajahn Abhinanda mentioned at the beginning of the meeting this evening, uh, today was silent practice day here in the monastery, and it was very silent. Uh, nobody turned up. <laughs> um, I, uh, as was mentioned, uh, we assumed that's because it's the first uh, occasion of the year that we have these, and um, but I do hope that people will. Uh, Take advantage of this opportunity to use the place here, and also that uh, there will be a sangha member present uh, for these these days, uh, each afternoon, from two until five thirty. An opportunity to refresh, renew, uh, refocus attention. Uh, I think is really worth taking, and and. We're quite conscious about offering this uh, to people in this area. We, we really want people to have an opportunity to remember uh, what's important. Uh, there's so much of what we have to deal with in our lives uh, is distracting. That we can forget the things that our hearts are really concerned about. So remembering, remembering the point, remembering the goal of our effort. Uh, we can use all energy and just getting by, mm. reacting, uh, coping, surviving. But in our more reflective moments, surely all of us recognise actually there are some real concerns. There's some some things that we'd like to have settled uh, before this life is over. And that is our goal. That's the goal of practice: is to to settle those matters that need to be settled. And I was thinking about this um, this morning. Yesterday, we we came back. Ajahn Abhidhamma, Ajahn Punya, myself came back from Amravati. We'd been down south for two weeks, and uh, we were, somebody kindly took us to the train station. And on the way, we got lost. Caroline um, took us to the train station, and uh, we uh, we ended up in Luton Airport, um, which was not where we planned to go at all. We were supposed to be going to the Stevenage train station, and then we got to Stevenage. Then we ended up roundabouts and going round in circles, and eventually we found where we were supposed to go, and and it was in time to catch the train, so that was good. But I mentioned to Caroline how uh, disoriented I was. Without having a satellite navigator, because in our car we have this nice sat nav now, and and uh, it's regularly updated, and so it's a really reliable, uh, most of the time, uh, little bit of kit, and I've become rather fond of it. Really feel safe when you're heading off on a journey, just programming where you're going, and and then you know, this voice. You know, From time to time, pops up and says, "Do this, do that," and it's very reassuring. And 
and the evidence is it's reliable. And I was reflecting on this, and, and, and partly when, when I was uh, talking to Caroline about it and saying, well, you know, I've become dependent on the satnav, and part of me felt, well, that's not very good. You, know, you shouldn't become dependent on the satnav. Well, why not? Uh, why not depend on the satnav? Actually, most of the time, it really helps. You know, and and that's, I think that's what's important in practice, to know what helps. You know, if you're going somewhere, you put in the goal, and the satnav helps us get there. And in terms of our practice, if we're not clear about the goal, we're not clear about where we're going, uh, that's unfortunate. And so I would like to suggest that it really helps if we are clear about the goal. And there's so much, as I started off by saying, that is distracting. The, the sensory world, uh, sight, sounds, smells, taste, touches and mental impressions uh, can be really fascinating, can be really interesting, can be really exciting, but can also uh, be an extravagant waste of time. Uh, I'm sure we've all experienced that. We get tired for no particular purpose. Uh, you end up exhausting, well, what was that for? Uh, well, I know for myself, I don't want to uh, be lying there about to die and then have the thought, well, what was that for? You know, I uh, wasted my time. So what helps in, in cultivating the Buddha's path is to be clear about the goal, to, to reflect on this, to remind ourselves, to study, to listen, uh, to consider, to inquire. Uh, if we're not confident about the goal, then to ask questions. You know, sometimes people are not confident about the goal. Sometimes people will tell you you're not supposed to have any goals. Well, if you head out in that nice car we've got out there, we've got a very nice car, we've got a very good satellite navigator, and you head out and you don't know where you're going, well, you know, what's the point? Well, you might see a bit of scenery, and if that's the goal, well, that's okay. But if you really need to be going somewhere, that's not okay. And for us, we do really need to be going somewhere because we suffer. Where we need to be going is to the place of freedom from suffering. That's the goal. The Buddha realized this goal. He realized this place. He said he's, he's walked this ancient path through the forest that nobody's been on for a very long time. The path's all overgrown and covered and obscured. And he's walked this path and he's found the goal. He's found that city, that place uh, where there is complete freedom. In other words, uh, the confusion and feelings of inadequacy, of, uh, of pointlessness, of sadness, uh, of limitation, all the feelings of limitation, all the feelings that limit us are not the goal. They, these are actually distractions. Uh, there's nothing wrong with them. The Buddha passed all sorts of scenery on his way to realizing the goal. He didn't say there's anything wrong with the scenery. In fact, he said the suffering was the means studying, investigating the suffering, looking at our experiences of life, the gladness and the sadness, the joy and the sorrow, the praise and the blame, the gain and the loss, the success and the failure, all the stuff of life is the field of investigation. But they're not the goal. And so if we know the goal is that place of freedom, that place where we really know who we are beyond any doubt. 
if we have a clear concept that that's what we're aiming for, then with that comes the confidence. And as we're typing in the correct address to Satnav, you can just get on with the journey. Now, part of the problem of having a goal in, in a spiritual life, it is true. Sometimes people get a goal and then they just keep focusing on the goal all the time, grasping the idea of the goal. The idea of enlightenment or the idea of freedom or the idea of our true identity. And that's like, as, as I think it was Sri Ramana Maharshi used to say, it's like getting on a train and carrying your suitcase. You know, once you're on the train, you can put your suitcase down. So if we have a clear orientation, if we're rightly directed, as it says in the Maha. A Mangala Sutta, I think it's the second stanza, Atta Samapaniti, oneself rightly directed. If we're rightly directed and we have confidence in our direction, then we can pay more close attention to this. Then we can give our attention to this. But if we're not rightly directed or we're not confident about our direction, then a lot of our energy is dissipated. And Somebody comes along and says something and then we get, oh, maybe they're right, maybe I'm wrong. Or, or we just get distracted, as I said, by sensuality. Yeah. The sights and sounds, the movies, the video games, the gadgets, the food, the company, the relationships. All of this, of course, is part of life. But it's not the goal. Because all of this, uh, we're going to lose. And all of this is going to disappear. And so to, I think, to appreciate the, the function of being clear about the goal helps. And then whatever helps in, in, in arriving at that, like, you know, you know that we all know the path, the Buddha taught, the Eightfold Path, and say, so, well, how do you find right view? And, and so some people will find it by reading. If reading helps, then we read. Some people don't find reading helps. Listening helps. You know, personally, I like listening. I got big ears. You know, my eyes sort of work, but I don't know what's wrong with my brain. But I, I don't tend to get much information from reading. Hopeless, really, on that level. But my ears are great. I, I really like listening. I love listening to Dhamma talks. Love listening to other people's practice. Love engaging in discussion about practice. For me, that helps. For some people, that doesn't help. They don't like talking about practice. They just like studying. Hmm. Right view, right thought. You know, what, what did the Buddha say about the, the Eightfold Path? What is right view? What is right thought? To listen to other people's or to study other people's experience. And it's like with right thought, to understand the difference between mundane right thought and super mundane right thought. What the Buddha talked about you know, cultivating thoughts that accord with the way, that approximates the way on a conventional level. Like thoughts that are free from lust, thoughts that are free from ill will, thoughts that are free from violence or cruelty or aggression. Yeah. To cultivate these thoughts. Now, how do we cultivate these thoughts? Well, we see when these thoughts are there and say, well, do they help? And you see, well, thoughts of violence, does that help? And that's an inquiry. That's actually cultivating what helps. That's cultivating thoughts that are free from violence. And it's very easy to cultivate thoughts that are violent. We had a little experience yesterday with somebody who turned up at the monastery and, and uh, one of the monks went to help them and very nice, very friendly and, and this person was just so aggressive 
uh, really, really unpleasant. And did she look happy when she left? No. <laughs> did the monk, was he happy? He was okay because actually he'd, he'd cultivated thoughts that were free from violence. Well, he, I think maybe there might have been a movement towards saying something, but uh, he'd, cultivating freedom from violence, you basically inhibit the mind and because you've learned what happens when you follow that, you know, thoughts of ill will. And so I would encourage just to, to make this as a reflection. So what helps? Studying the Eightfold Path and, and listening to what other people have to say about it, downloading Dhamma talks, plenty around, being discerning, and make sure that we're doing our own practice, that helps. You know, if we're doing somebody else's practice, you know, that doesn't necessarily help because you're not anybody else. You're you. You've got your own practice to do. And so it really helps that, that we have a feeling of confidence that we're doing our own practice. I know myself, I remember for years being so dazzled by other teachers and being so disoriented myself that I wasn't really doing my own practice. I was trying to do what other people said. That's part of it. But then we need to be moving in the direction of saying, well, is this me? Yeah. Is this helping with a sense of, of, of the factors that accord with the path? You know, and there, what helps is also to be clearer you know, what the Buddha said about the path, what accords with Dhamma, what doesn't accord with Dhamma. And then there's all these teachings the Buddha gave, the Tripitaka is full of them, and then all the commentaries full of them, and, and all these lists that... I think it's good to remember some of these lists, to find the list that works for you. You know, one of my favorite lists is that one the Buddha gave to uh, Bhikkhuni Mahapajapati, where she was saying how it's hard to get an interview with the Buddha because there's probably a lot of monks around or something and, and a lot of visitors and, and these other nuns are coming to see me and I don't know how to tell them what's dumb and what's not dumber. Can you just give me a, a basic kind of summary? <clears throat> so he did. And you've heard me talk about it many times before, I'm sure. Dispassion, detachment, dispersal, modesty, contentment, frugality, effort, and solitude. You know, these things. And if you memorize a list like this, it's great. You find yourself in a, a fix and things are not working. And you say, well, what do I do? What helps? You say, dispassion, detachment, dispersal, modesty, contentment, frugality, effort, solitude. And then something will ring a bell. Say, well, that's, that's what I need to be developing. Oh, yeah, right. Effort. Oh, yeah, I'm just kind of, all, you know, my back is all weak and I'm just getting flabby and, and my mind is not clear. I don't have any energy. My practice is rubbish. And, and so you do something to generate energy. Get some inspiration. Go and listen to a Dhamma talk. Go on a retreat. You know, read something. But investigate. Is this helping as we go along? Is this helping? Does this help? I remember thinking I, I hadn't uh, taken any, I hadn't drank coffee for many years. And then I was visiting with another monk friend and, and uh, somebody gave me this cup of coffee. And uh, I drank, I thought, well, this is good. This is very good. And so I really got into drinking coffee, good coffee, regularly, big cups. And, but after a little investigation and you know, quite a few nights of, of unreasonable anxiety and and no sleep, and, and feeling very, very unsettled and very confused, I thought, no, this is not helping. So as we're checking to see what helps, 
we do, you know, what really helps most, perhaps, besides right view, is uh, right mindfulness. You know, to really be exercising the 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 sensitivity of attention that receives experience in the whole body mind and has the capacity for investigating, to asking our own questions. That's what mindfulness does. It equips us, it puts us in the space where we can ask our own questions. You know, it's like it's like when your glasses are fixed, you know. Okay, it doesn't make me enlightened, but at least I can now see clearly yeah, with my eyes. Yeah. You know, likewise if if we don't have mindfulness, we might have all sorts of good ideas about practice. We might have loads of energy. Might be keeping the precepts, might be doing right livelihood, might be doing very well on many levels. But if we don't have mindfulness, well, that, that's, that doesn't help. And so you know, to remember whatever we're doing, we investigate as we go along. You, you think something's helping your energy level and you ask the question, yeah. does it help? Somebody else comes along and, and tells you that you're practicing wrongly yeah. and you start wobbling. Doubt comes up. Now there can be just a reaction to doubt and, and think, well, I shouldn't be doubting. And you, so you, you rush back and read your books and, and reassure yourself about the path of practice. And you do that. You might do that for years. You might do that for many years and become attached to books. Just like becoming attached to a sat-nav. You know, it's good to use a sat-nav, in my opinion, if it's up-to-date and it's reliable. It's a very good tool. But if you become so attached to sat-nav that you can't read a map, or that when you're lost you can't, you know, like maybe the satellites, I don't know, the volcanic cloud is, means it's not functioning or something, you know, so you, your sat-nav is not working, and you, you can't get out of the car and ask somebody and have a conversation, well, that's a problem. That's actually not a right relationship to uh, the sat-nav. That relationship doesn't help. And so likewise, even with studying, we can go and study all the books about right view, read all the theory about meditation practice, but then when doubt comes up, if we're attached to our conceptual knowledge of practice, we're attached to other people's opinions about practice, that doesn't help. And what helps at that point? Well, there's a good question. Yeah. What helps at that point when, when we're still having doubts and after all these years, and you say, what helps, what might help in this case, is to be agile. Maybe we become too rigid in our practice. Becoming rigid doesn't help. Maybe what helps is to become more agile and more flexible. And say, well, somebody else told me that I had to practice ardently and stay focused and get a teacher and stick with a teacher and stick with the way and don't change and so well sometimes teachers are wrong yeah, it might be it might be true but it might not be true so having uh, so being agile that helps yeah. doesn't mean to say being sloppy or floppy or all over the place or you know, going to the spiritual supermarket a little bit of this a little bit of that and, and not really going deeply into practice that's something else that's, that doesn't help but agility can really help, that when doubts come up and we're tired of going back to our books or tired of asking other people's opinions over and over again, what can help is to be able to be agile enough to let go of our, the way of practice we're familiar with 
to turn and look at the doubt itself and ask the doubt, what is this about? What is this doubt? Where does it come from? Is this doubt me? That's a good question. Because if this doubt was me, how could I be having a conversation with it? As like with a body. If this body was me, I I couldn't see it, could I? I mean, I can see this body. So it's not me. So investigation helps. And also a really good dose of modesty in that list the Buddha gave to Mahapajapati. Dispassion, detachment, dispersal, modesty, contentment. Sometimes our the initial conviction and practice and and the good feelings that come with finding something that gives us confidence can turn into rigidity. And so where we keep investigating, we have mindfulness, we understand the goal as being complete freedom from suffering. You know, the heartwood, as the Buddha talked about it. The heartwood. You know, not just the bark, <clears throat> not just the softwood, but the heartwood to keep going, to keep getting deeper in our practice and moving towards the goal. So we've got the goal of practice is complete freedom from suffering. So if what we've got is uh, some confidence and some good in our feelings, but uh, we're still not free from suffering, well, we keep moving. And if there is modesty and there's humility, well, then we're not going to make the mistake of settling for just the good feeling that comes with that. The Buddha talks about even the the supremely blissful feelings that come from jhanas. He says you don't even want to settle for that, those of you that have access to jhanas. That's that's not it either. So this evening I'd like to encourage everybody as you go about your daily life to ask perhaps this question, what helps? I would suggest that having a clear concept, a clear feeling of being directed, or rightly directed as the Buddha said, towards the goal helps. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.